0: Hey guys, welcome to the Drone Horizon podcast, I'm Alex and today I'm joined by George Cooper. George, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: So um, my name's George, I live in Manchester, my job is video editor, I work for Bible, um, but in my spare time I'm a drone enthusiast, so I love getting outdoors, taking landscape photos and I'd say like 75% of my landscape photos that I love are taken on a drone.
0: Cool, well thanks for being with us today George um so we've asked you to send over your three shots and again they are fantastic looking shots um you said you wanted to start with the one on the Isle of Skye so take it away I mean it's a beautifully composition it's just great
1: thank you yeah so I mean this is um it's kind of a special photo for me I, I guess this year out of all the years you've not been able to travel or it's been very difficult to travel um and this was actually taken in October this year so It's quite an important photo for me regarding this year because it kind of summarizes like the best bit of travel possible in 2020 um and it's also one of my favorite photos that i've ever taken um so like the story behind this one is we were actually we, we were in the sky me and a few friends we'd gone there literally just to take photos and On one of the days we, well, so Isla right? It's really small. So we were trying to cram in as many locations as possible. So on the first two days, we were just like hitting as many spots as we could. And then on the third day, we had it planned out that we were going to do this massive hike. It was, I think it was about, it was between 30 and 40 kilometers, right? This round trip of a hike, it was mental and it was, it took a massive toll on us. But basically, how we got there, the, so the, the walk we were going on was to this like mountain viewpoint. So we had to like walk through this valley um, and then ascend, I think it was like 500 meters or something. Um, but like there was no path. We had to kind of follow this re- these really rough instructions, like scramble up some rocks. And then we got to this insane viewpoint. Um, and then the walk back was the exact same, it wasn't like a circular route. Um, yeah. And this photo isn't actually the viewpoint this photo is uh, along the way, but it just reminds me of that massive hike that we were on. It was, it was like a proper expedition basically. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really horrible weather all day, like proper windy, really cold. I'm sure it like hailstoned at like one point. It was awful raining all the time as well. Um, and we would, I think this photo was taken like two, maybe three hours into the walk. So We've been, we've been walking, I think we might have covered like six, six to 10 kilometers or something like that. And yeah, the there kind of was just a bit of a break in the sky all of a sudden. And I I just looked over to our right and I saw these mountains with like, as you can see, there's like a little bit of light, just like kissing it on the left. Um, And then I spotted this lake in the foreground as well. And I was like, Oh, it looks so sick if I just sent the drone up and I, I, I had the composition in my head already. So I was like, right, I'm just gonna do it. I was worried that the rain was gonna come, but I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just gonna send it up and I'll bring it straight back. And I was only in the air for like four minutes, maybe. Sent it straight over there, it was a couple hundred meters away and I brought it straight back. Um, and yeah, this is a photo I got. I spent a while editing it um, and I'm just buzzing with it. I'm, I'm really happy with it.
0: It's interesting you ended up choosing this shot rather than the one sort of where you were headed to on that hike. I mean, sometimes, like as you say, you you walk and the conditions end up falling so perfectly that you end up seeing exactly what it is that you wanted. But even if that wasn't the original destination, um, and obviously by carrying sort of more than one battery, you're not sort of completely writing yourself off uh, if you send it up at one point and decide that you want to send it off later on as well. Um, You mentioned that you've sort of quite heavily edited this. Sort of, um, do you want to talk us through? Your editing process, just sort of briefly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll kind of go through it on this image because I actually edited it quite recently. Obviously, with just taking it in October. Um, sure. So this this was a three shot pano, and I I obviously start off I stitch it together, and then I think I can't remember really. I think the first thing I, I do is I'll do like the basic adjustments. So I'll make sure the exposure is right. I'll and then I'll like apply contrast and then sort the color sliders out. So kind of get it to a level where I'm happy with like the overall edit on the image. And then I'll like tune in on the finer details on the local adjustment. So like the Gradial, uh, Gradial, is that the word? No, I've just blended two together there. The Gradient Filter (laughs) or the Radial Filter, that's it. Um, So obviously I'd use the Gradient Filter down from the top and the bottom to kind of like draw your eye in a little bit. And then I'd use the Radial Filter on the left-hand side of the image to kind of emphasize that light that you can see peeking through. And then as well to like brighten up or darken other areas of the image. I think I used the opposite effect on the other side to darken the right-hand side. Um, But I spent a while editing this. Um, I also, I was really, this is a bit cheeky, um, but some people are going to like this. I stretched the image like vertically slightly. So the mountains, uh, only slightly, but the mountains, they look a bit more pronounced on this. And really on the actual drone photo, they were like a little bit more flat. But I think it it kind of represents what it looked like to to my eyesight a little bit more. And it also just looks more epic than some like small mountains.
0: (laughs) And that's what it's all about as well. Obviously, when you're there and you're taking the picture, you're able to see exactly what it is that it looks like. And your job with the drone and with a camera is to then capture that and portray that through a 2D image, which can be very difficult sometimes. So I think the editing process and, you know, people that maybe disagree with the sort of stretching it is especially from when you're higher up in the sky obviously the mountains will look slightly shorter but from you on the ground they probably looked a lot taller so it's sort of more of an accurate representation of what you saw on the ground as to what the drones saw when it was up in the up in the sky yeah exactly and um,
1: that was only a small part of it to be fair that was kind of the final tweet for the most part before then, like I, I think what makes this photo for me personally isn't like the tall towering mountains. It's it's just the the bit of light on the left hand side. I just think it just changes it up completely. Like it really gives your eye something to focus on. Um and that's that's why I sent the drone up in the first place, because I saw that bit of light.
0: I think it would be a very different picture if you didn't have that light. I mean, um when we were chatting before, we were saying that it almost looks very Icelandic this shot because it's very sort of dark and moody and very monotone in its look Um, and I think you know the shots that you do tend to get from Iceland are very very dark and obviously without that ray of sunlight it would have been almost a very underexposed shot but you know it's definitely not something that I would put as being from the Isle of Skye I mean it's a really really lovely shot.
1: Thanks mate yeah I guess that kind of goes back to what I was saying as well about how 2020 you've not really been able to go anywhere and then this Isle of Skye kind of presents itself to you and it just feels, it feels Icelandic, it, like it feels Norwegian. It just feels like a completely other planet, never mind country in some parts. And I think that's what stands out to me the most about this photo is it, it's probably one of the few photos I took on the Isle of Skye that makes me be like, how is that in the UK?
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Is, um, was this the first time that you've been to the Isle of Skye?
1: It was the second actually. I, I went about two years ago um i think it was almost two years ago exactly actually but i I went with my girlfriend and obviously we don't want to be i don't want to be dragging her around um (laughs) on 40 kilometer hikes or whatever so um yeah we kind of um we kind of turned it down to like some of the more simple spots there
0: yeah i mean it's one of those places as well i think if you could spend endless amounts of time exploring and you know you were saying that a lot of it's sort of off path so you know you could spend many many hours walking around finding you know beautiful places to shoot and that kind of thing and it's a very unique place in that sense that it as you said it doesn't feel like it's in the UK at all it's a very different landscape to really anything else in the UK
1: yeah exactly I want to correct myself actually I've misremembered it's about 25 kilometers the hike but it felt like 50 <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah especially after you know the doing other walks sort of throughout the time that you were there as well you probably took took its toll on your legs and your back
1: exactly and lugging the camera gear around as well doesn't help
0: definitely um so the second shot um was madeira uh do you want to talk us through this one
1: yeah yeah so um i guess the the best way to kind of start on this is somewhere in the mid-left of the image is our accommodation that we were staying in beneath the cloud And I guess if you've never been to Madeira or you don't know much about it, the best way to summarize it is by saying that the weather there is, it's just like a different climate to anywhere else I've ever been. And the cloud is so low, usually a lot of the time, that a lot of the island gets rained on. And then the mountains, you can drive through the cloud, through like thick fog, and then get on top of the cloud in the mountains. Um, and this photo, it was actually taken on a day where it was our first day in Madeira. And me and my friend had, had gone around. We'd been hitting like quite a few spots. Um, and then we decided for sunset, we were going to go to this point here, which you can just see um, towards the like bottom of the image, bottom middle of the image. There's like a little lookout. Um, so, yeah, we've been to a few places. We were like, right, let's just go here for sunset. and and see what it's like we didn't really have much high hopes because when we were driving around just before it was really foggy so we were like right we might be better up there we don't know so anyway we drove we drove up there and there's like a car park just off to the bottom right of this image that you can't see and you literally couldn't see a meter in front of you it was the fog was ridiculously thick so we walked up to this viewpoint that you can see and we're just like, well, whatever. We've had a good day here so far. It doesn't matter if the sunset isn't good. Let's just kind of just chill out here. So we brought, we brought a couple of beers with us and a bit of food. And we were just kind of just chilling out there talking. We were like, oh, it'd be cool if the clouds disappear, but we'll not get our hopes up. <clears throat> and yeah, we were there for about an hour just chatting. And as it was getting to sunset, I think this was like just as like Golden Hour was kind of like in its peak we were just like looking and then we could just kind of see like the mountains in the, in the background. And, and then all of a sudden the cloud just kind of dropped and it dropped to the level that you can see in this photos, which is probably like five, maybe 10 meters below this little lookout that spot that we're at. Um, and me and my friend just went crazy. We were like, right, we've got to get as many photos as we can. Cause this is the first cloud inversion that I would actually seen. I think it's the first cloud inversion that he'd actually seen as well. So obviously we were both like super hyped. Um, I sent the drone up and like burnt through both batteries. I think I was flying for like 50 minutes straight or something like that, Um, as well as like getting photos in between on my regular camera. I
0: was just saying it's one of those things that it's really unusual to see a cloud inversion and to be somewhere where you then can combine that with golden hour as well. Like again, once again, sort of the conditions just perfectly aligned for you in that point of time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is we didn't want to miss out on it. We wanted to capitalize on it. So I, I was like flying the drone around for the most part, kind of trying to scout out a composition because it's quite tough to like to the left of this image. Obviously, you can't see, but it was just like a sea of cloud and then like a distant like mountain peak and then the sun. So it was really quite hard to try and find the composition that worked with this with the conditions that were going on. Uh, and this is the one that I settled on as my favorite. And it, it just feels like it's got a bit more depth to it. Um, but yeah, like I say, I, I spent about 10 minutes at least just flying around trying to find cool spots that I could pick out um, before I kind of came across this one
0: and that's something we've touched on before i mean one of the benefits of having a drone is that you are able to fly it anywhere and get the exact composition that you're looking for without too much hassle i mean obviously apart from being able to get that extra unique sort of perspective on things you are able to just move it around and if the composition is not quite right it's not a case of oh we've got to get up and move the tripod 30 meters like you you know you can do it in a in a matter of seconds um just out of interest how high from the sea level was that lookout point that you were looking at? Cause it looks quite a long way up already, but obviously sort of what kind of uh, level did you take off from?
1: I'm not sure to be honest with you. It was quite high though, because we, the area that we were in was called like Valley of the nuns and you have to drive like up some super steep hills to get there. We were probably driving uphill for about half an hour to get to our accommodation. So um, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but it, it was, it was really high and obviously that's, ultimately why we got the conditions like this
0: and i think it's as obviously when flying sort of per the country's regulations you're only allowed 122 meters from your takeoff point but obviously by being that little bit higher you're able to to get a much more unique perspective while still flying legally i mean it almost looks like you could be up flying around with the airplanes up there but i'm guessing obviously it's Oh, I'm not sure the airplanes would be flying that low, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they might crash into the mountains. <laughs> yeah. The top right. Um, but yeah, I think this was a vertical pano as well. So obviously that gives the illusion that it's even higher up. Uh, and the fact that we were just sitting above the
0: cloud, like you say, it, it looks like <laughs> the drones thousands of meters off in the air. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so you got some really, really nice color on the side of those mountains at, on the top right hand side as well. And, you know, it's just, you know, the colours are just, they're really, really pop and then you've got the nice contrast with the sort of green at the bottom. Um, would you say that with your shots, there's sort of uh, an editing style that you tend to go for? There was a guy that I was chatting to uh, last week and he was saying that he tends to shoot and edit his pictures so that he's always got like a really bright, almost overexposed point and then a really dark point. So you've got like a really high dynamic range. Is that sort of something that, Not so much the dynamic range, but would you say there's sort of something typical that you do with your editing process and, you know, to try and keep your uh, sort of your continuity between your images?
1: Uh, It's a good good question, really. You know what? I'm not I'm not too sure. Like maybe people can look at my photos and they think that I do. But I guess the main thing for me is I have I try and have like a lot of contrast. Um, That just kind of stands out to me as making an image interesting. And it also kind of matches the conditions that I'm shooting in a lot of the time. So whether it's like sunset or sunrise or just like moody conditions, like on the first photo I shared. Um, But I don't really have like, like a consistent style. I wouldn't say because usually I will start my edits over. Like I'll start each photograph and I won't, I'll apply like maybe a very rough preset, but then I'll go through and tweak everything. Whereas some people kind of like to chuck a preset on and then do a few minor things. I kind of get like anxious that I'm going to miss out on my like unleashing the full potential of an image, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I feel like if I rush through the edit and I'm like, oh yeah, this will do, I'll just chuck a preset on it and it's done in two minutes. Then I'm I'll, in my head, I'm like, oh no, because if I spent 20 minutes on it, I could have made it look what, two times better. So I yeah, I try and take a bit more time and therefore probably don't have the consistency that other people do.
0: I mean, of the filters that I've used as well, I I look at them sort of after I've applied the filter and I just think to myself that there's a couple of things like a wood change and you end up almost backtracking on the filter more than if you'd have just started from scratch and sort of gone through and, and got what you had in mind when you took the shot kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I I try and I, I, I do use it for a few presets now, but I try and have like very, like I was saying, like very basic ones that kind of only adjust a few things like just like a, a base like contrast preset i'll chuck that on and then i'll either like i can all the other bits down slightly and then i can get a bit of consistency that way but when it comes to like the colors i don't really like having consistent colors throughout all my photos because i think sometimes obviously it depends where you're shooting what season you're shooting in what time of day you're shooting in What you are shooting as well. Like, there's not always those colors there. So, if someone wants teal and orange in all the photos, but then they're going out and shooting like green forest, then it's just not going to work. So, I try and like take it on a case by case basis, essentially.
0: I think you tend to find as well that the guys who have their Instagram profiles that look, you know, all their images are sort of perfectly matched, they tend to shoot in the same kind of environments as you were saying. Like, you know, you tend to see like beach photographers you know, all of their shots will be beach shots and they can obviously colour match them almost perfectly in that sense. But even just the three shots that you've sent over today, they're obviously all very different landscapes. So they're all very different colour profiles. So it sort of would almost be criminal to try and colour match them because you'd end up, you know, losing some of the colour in one and having, you know, not enough in the other kind of thing
1: yeah i think that's the thing is people can kind of fall into that trap sometimes as well just because oh my instagram theme isn't gonna look as nice if this isn't the same color as my other photos and then they'll just basically be unhappy with the photo but posting it anyway for the sake of it for consistency or or they'll never post something because it doesn't fit in with their theme which i like i understand because obviously it works people have color themes but I don't know, I just think sometimes, you, like I was saying before, you've just got to take each photo as it comes and edit whatever you think is best, regardless of like what you think Instagram might like more.
0: Definitely. Um, and then on to your third shot, which is probably arguably my favourite. Um, do you want to talk us through this shot?
1: Yeah, cool. So this was actually taken last year, last October in Switzerland, in an area called Grindelwald. And yeah, essentially I would go on holiday with a few mates and we'd done a road trip around Switzerland. And this was kind of like our final few days there. And they, they're not into photography. Um, it was kind of just like some mates that I've got from school and we were like, Oh, let's just, um, let's go on a trip. And Switzerland was kind of a compromise, you know, like it kind of combined all of our interests together. Yeah. So yeah, we, on our fifth day, I think it was, um, we were staying in a place called Interlaken, which is like an hour from uh, well, about 30 minutes from here. Um, and I was like, oh, I want to get up and go here tomorrow. Uh, like who wants to come? And they were both like, no, nah, I can't be bothered. Cause obviously like the weather forecast was bad and, um, or they were tired cause we'd done loads of stuff the other day. And I was like, nah, come on, it'll be good. It'll be good. And they just weren't, they weren't having it. But I was like, right. I don't want to miss out because I had this spot. It's, it's a lake called Bukowski. I probably butchered that pronunciation. And yeah, it, I had it on my list, like my basically like my Switzerland bucket list of, of locations. And I was like, right, I can't miss out on this place. I, I need to see it. And it was one of the places I'd seen before going to Switzerland that I was just hyped on. Like it, it kind of encouraged me to go essentially. So I was like, right, I have to, I have to go and see this place. So without my friends, I basically went, drove to, drove to the cable car entrance and you have to get a cable car all the way up to the top of these mountains because yeah, actually in this photo, obviously you've got like the, the brown orangey foreground and then the mountain in the background. Well, like somewhere in between there, like very, very far down is this little town that I'm talking about Grindelwald. So you have to get the cable car all the way up. And obviously you can kind of see we're, we're like almost level with the mountain peaks in the background. Like, so you come up quite a lot and yeah, we were, well it was just me on my own i I got there got the first cable car which was 8 a.m spent about half an hour in it going up before we got to the start of the walking point and then i walked all the way to a viewpoint which is actually just behind this where this photo was taken from Uh, and that took about an hour so i think this photo was taken like half nine something like that um but yeah for me it kind of just Symbolizes. I don't know. Like it. it it's just one of the places. Like I say, I really wanted to go and see, and I, even though my friends weren't bothered about it, I was like, no, nah, I'm still going to go. I'm going to go by myself because it'll be worth it, and it it just was. um And it's also like this this particular photo kind of stands out to me because I think it's a little bit different to some of the other photos that I've seen here. So um obviously, I'll, I'll have to send you this one over. But there's a viewpoint, like a very famous viewpoint kind of like a couple of hundred meters back from the perspective that this photo was taken from. And it's essentially this exact same landscape, but there's like a lookout point and then people will usually stand there, have the drone behind them and then um, like it will reveal this landscape. Yeah. It's a really nice shot, but loads of people have taken it. So I was trying to look for something a little bit different and yeah, essentially this was what I came up with. And, and this is another reason why the drone is such a sick piece of equipment is because I'm able to fly over a lake and get a perspective that what well, only a couple of people who visit this place with a drone will be able to get compared to most people who are on foot that wouldn't be able to get anything like this. So it just opens up in, like a new perspective completely.
0: Definitely. And it, it's it gives you the option and the opportunity for a different take on popular places. Um, I mean, I was chatting with uh, a guy a couple of weeks back, <clears throat> and you know we would he one of his photos that he brought onto the podcast was of Durdledore door in dorset and it was such a unique perspective of Durdledore door that you're able to get with a drone that they're worth their weight in gold purely for that alone because even if you know it, people that are looking at your pictures they'll think oh another dordle door picture but it by having that extra perspective difference it just makes your shots stand out so much more, and it gives you that edge over people that are taking your traditional shots all the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's more satisfying as well, isn't it? When you're able to get something that you don't feel like you you not you don't feel like you've ripped someone else's idea off or composition off, and also like when you're on on foot, obviously you can still get creative angles with a regular camera. But say if you wanted to get a photo of Durdle Door, let's say then really the main thing that's going to make it stand out from someone else's photo there could be the conditions. So if it's like an incredible sunset, then you could get the same angle that's been got before, but you've got this like these stunning sunsets. Whereas with a drone, you don't really need to rely on things like weather or conditions to for it to make your photo unique. You've got a drone, you can just move it around and fly it about in the air and just find that perspective.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously weather does still influence whether you can fly or not, but in the actual physical shot yeah the you know it 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 gives you a lot more opportunity to sort of play around with things and that kind of thing um so in this particular shot are you anywhere in this shot at all or are you just off camera
1: yeah so i'm i'm kind of i'm at that lookout point i was just talking about so um yeah a couple of hundred meters backwards essentially sure
0: so when you are obviously with this shot you mentioned that you got the cable car up so unlike the the shot from the artist guy you didn't have to trek for however many hours it was um in terms of kit that you take with you what do you carry in your backpack and what backpack do you use what cases do you use that kind of thing
1: yeah so i um I, for these photos well other than the other sky one i used to i, I had a, I, a amazon basics bag <laughs> which i literally swear by as the best one of the best bags i've ever had because it's just got so many compartments it's like um it's like that tent of harry potter where they go into it and then it's like 15 times <laughs> bigger it's yeah. essentially like that like, i feel like you can just fit so much stuff in it um but yeah, that, that's the bag that I had for about two years because I could just get all my, I could literally get my clothes and all my camera gear in there. Um, but I recently upgraded to the Low Pro, uh, the 452 I've got, I think it's called, um, which is like a much needed upgrade because the Amazon bag, as much as I'm raving about it, it, it was poor quality. And when it was in bad conditions, you could tell. Um, and this low pro one it feels like it's just like more supportive like it feels like i can take it for such longer walks and i won't i won't get in i won't suffer because of it essentially um and when it comes to equipment i've i try and keep it pretty lightweight to be fair so i've got i've only got three lenses which I is that so you don't break the amazon bag <laughs> it was yeah <laughs> i might upgrade my gear a bit more now <laughs> um but yeah i've got i've got three lenses and uh, aps-c sony camera i've got an a6300 so i use a 35 mil uh 12 mil and then i've got a 70 to 200 so i've kind of got a lot of the focal ranges covered there and then drone wise i've got the mavic pro um the original one and i've had that for about three years now i i think going like three and a half. and almost um and that's just been solid like i've never had any problems with that and it's it's proper light as well like it, it's never it's never one of them things that i'm like oh, do i take my drone or do i not because it doesn't make a difference Weight it was it's, it's not heavy at all
0: yeah um so was the first drone that you bought was that the mavic pro or have you sort of gone from something previously and upgraded
1: yeah so i i used to have uh phantom three before that actually um which i, I think i only had for about a year and a bit and it's it was a good bit of kit, especially like for the price that you could pick it up for now. But it's just so big, like it, it's it. Obviously, I mean, people have seen them. They're like, what? They're, they're they're huge. They need a separate bag, and that's exactly what I had my girlfriend. Whenever we went on walks, she'd have to have the drone bag, and then I carry my camera bag around. Um, and I was just, I got to a stage where I was like, I can't, I can't be doing that because I need to be more <laughs> responsible for my own thing for a start, and also I, I just. I, I don't want to be sacrificing things when I'm going on walks. I want it all in one bag, and I think yeah. it it was um, after I bought the Phantom Three. I think it was like a couple of months later the Mavic Pro came out, so I kind of just saved up for that and sold my Phantom Three and then put that money towards a uh, Mavic Pro and then and then got that the following summer. And yeah, like I say, I've had it for three years now. Never had a problem with it at all. It's been solid, and I'm I'm buzzing with the photos that I'm able to take with it too
0: have you noticed a difference between the two in terms of flying them was there sort of much of a difference between the, the phantom and the mavic obviously they're very different sort of builds in terms of obviously the mavic being a more foldable more compact uh drone but were they sort of a different feel to fly i've never flown a, a phantom but uh you know was there much of a difference or
1: i i don't think i don't feel like there is that much of a difference like it's obviously bulkier, but I think because the tech in the Mavic Pro is like, well, at the time it was like incredible, that it doesn't suffer in the wind like you would expect it to. Like I feel like they they were pretty on par. And the, the Phantom 3 was arguably w- a worse experience because it was Wi-Fi transmission instead of the RC. So it could sometimes be 100 meters away and then it's like disconnecting. Whereas the Mavic, I've like never had any issues with it connection-wise at all, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and I think even with what's on offer today, I think the Mavic Pro, the original Mavic Pro is a really, really good quality drone. And it's, you know, they've they they they've lasted really, really well, even with sort of other competitors. Um, and I mean, obviously with DJI's lineup now, you've got, something available at every price point and everything that is available is of really really good quality Um, and they've definitely stepped up from the previous versions of everything i mean i previously had a spark which again like you said worked through wi-fi and i've had the same issues where you would fly it you know 100 meters away and start having interference issues and disconnects which is not something that you really want to be doing especially when you're in places that you know, you've you've gone somewhere and, and you've got a limited time frame to take a shot. You want everything to be perfect. So so having that kind of, you know, those kind of uh, problems are not things that you want to have, basically. So, but obviously the Mavic Pro is a great bit of kit with OcuSync and it just means that you have that, you know, that more reliable transmission and, you know, I guess worth worth the money then
1: yeah exactly and i think like that's the thing in it you don't want to be flying a wi-fi drone over water and then you're getting like connection issues and you should see it slowly floating off in the (laughs) into the distance like over the horizon whereas you, you want it especially if you're spending a decent amount of money on something like even a couple of hundred quid is quite a lot of money you don't want to be spending that and then watching it like float off you would rather, I think it's just better to just spend a little bit more and get something like the Mavic Pro, and then it's, I, I don't know, it's more, it's a more reliable bit of kit, and you, you're not, you're less anxious when you're flying it as well, which is something that I used to be really anxious flying, um, but yeah, I'm not anymore.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think just having that, as you say, having that more reliable kit, it puts your mind at ease and lets you concentrate on things a lot more. Um, I mean, I was forever worrying with my Spark you know, that it was always going to fly away or, you know, I've read all these stories online about them having flyaways and disconnects and I was sitting there, you know, fretting that mine was just going to be the next one on the list. But, you know, by investing your money and getting the best that you can at the price point, then obviously you're setting yourself up for the best best success with any flight, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, Are you looking to upgrade soon or are you planning to stick with the Mavic Pro?
1: Well, I think I'm probably going to wait for the next iteration of the mavic pro whatever that is going to be obviously it depends it it might not be to my liking but i I think as long as my drone works well i I was saying this actually when i went to iceland last year because i because again i I get anxious and i'm like oh what what if it crashes blah 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 i was like right up to this point i've got my money's worth out of my drone so if it does crash then whatever and that was over a year and a half ago now So I feel like I've definitely got my money's worth out of it, but I don't want to upgrade it for the sake of it. Like if it crashes, then I'll get a new one, but I'm not going to just put it to one side of my cupboard or sell it when it works perfectly fine. Because I think the thing that stands out to me more than the Mavic 2 is like being able to rotate the camera portrait like obviously on the two you you've got like superb image quality like incredible and then you can do like the 6k hyperlapses or whatever it is like ridiculous ridiculous things like that so it, it's obviously a sick drone to get but for me uh and again i know we was, we've been talking about it before but it, uh, posting stuff on instagram having that portrait orientation is just so much more useful than having to do manual vertical panos, or or let let the drone take vertical panos for you all the time. I just think it's great to just have the option to do both, essentially.
0: So, were any of the shots that you've uh, sort of sent in today are they ones that are, are any of those uh, vertical? Uh, sorry, are any of those portrait shots, or are they all uh, panoramas that you stick to, uh, stitched together?
1: Yeah, well, I was just thinking that actually. There. None of them are landscape at all, <laughs> are they? Um, but yeah, I think I think two of them, let me think, because some of them, are, I think the Madeira one and the Sky one were both vertical panos and then the Switzerland one, that's uh, that's just on standard portrait. Um, I don't know. I think, I think what you can get on the portrait orientation is you can add a bit more depth like the going back to the Isle of Sky photo, I think if I was in landscape, I would have either missed out some of like the moodiness in the sky or I would have missed out the, the lake at the bottom. And that was what made the composition. So being able to just switch it to, well, like I said, that one was a vertical panel, but um, yeah, you know, being able to switch to portrait and even just see that composition first before I then switch back to landscape and do the vertical panel is just so much more helpful.
0: Especially if you then don't edit whilst you're there and you get home and you're like, oh, it's not exactly what I had in mind. You know, having the option to almost preview that uh, panorama is, is great. It's a great feature of the Mavic Pro.
1: And sometimes the vertical pano as well, it doesn't work how you want it to. Like it can stretch certain parts of the image Um you know like obviously it depends on what the contents of your frame are like if they if you've got things that are like quite close to the ground and then you've got things in the distance then the software can't recognize it and it can just distort it so having it just actually being able to take a portrait version and you know you've got one then is i don't know a peace of mind essentially
0: yeah full plan um so what first got you into photography then? Did you start with, obviously you've mentioned that you use a DSLR. Did you start off with the DSLR and then go into drone photography or was it the other way around? How did you first sort of get into it?
1: Yeah, so I, I got a camera uh, for Christmas. I think it was about eight, maybe nine years ago now. Um, and I was like, I, I got into it first, like kind of just going out with mates, taking photos. And then I was never like mega into it. I kind of just thought, oh, it's a bit of fun, but that's it. Um, and then it wasn't really until I kind of, the I finished university. Um, how long ago was that now? That's three years ago now. Yeah, three and a half years ago now. It wasn't until then that I kind of got more into it. And I, I would say that that's not because of uni. <laughs> it's more because of finishing uni and being a bit more independent. So like when I finished uni, I, I got a car, and I also had a job so I had more money to go and travel sure. and I'd, I'd essentially just do that I'd, I'd drive around go to places uh, local to me which is the peak district or I would go on holidays with my mates and I'd take all my camera gear with me there and then it kind of just yeah I, I got I got more into the landscape sort of thing as opposed to uh, you know like stuff that you might do at uni like portraits or still life or whatever and yeah because i love that so much i ended up getting a drone um made at first actually for video because I, I did photo and video and i did a bit of freelancing and i was like oh a drone would be so cool just to do to take videos on and that's why i got the phantom three and then just basically thinking about it as it, i don't know how it really happened it kind of just yeah i, I kind of just my interest suddenly shifted for some reason like I, I went out and i was taking trying to take photos and videos and it got a little bit um like it felt like i was so much to do and i was like well, what do i actually want to take and it ended up just being more photos so yeah i, I switched to the mavic obviously shortly after and used to take Most mainly video on that and then photo and then the ratio kind of shifted and now I hardly take any video on it at all and I only take photo essentially.
0: Yeah I mean there's been a couple of guys that I've spoken to on the podcast and they were saying that they started out with sort of more traditional photography almost the interest died down due to circumstances and jobs that kind of thing and then when they got a drone that interest was almost re-sparked so you know, they're they're great for sort of giving a new lease of life into a hobby that, you know, you've maybe lost interest in a little bit and that kind of thing. Um, you're sort of obviously in your introduction you mentioned that you work video editing for Lab Bible. Was that something that came as a result of your photography and your drone work? Or was that something that sort of was a result of your uni or how how did that sort of come about?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um I would like to say for the money that i spent on going to uni that it was uni but i don't think it was personally um what i what i used to do kind of the summer before i started working um was i'd, I'd go out and i'd do these like travel videos essentially so i go out with some of my mates and we just go to a location and i kind of film a short video about that location so in like a pretty traditional way like starting off with like a nice establishing shot and then kind of like the details of what happened through the day. And then, like, a nice ending shot. And I was just... I was at that stage where I was, like, watching loads of Sam Calder on YouTube and I was basically just wanting to rip off everything that he did.
0: We've all been there.
1: Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I learned a lot, though, by watching videos ripping off his style, essentially. Like, how to do certain things in After Effects and how to edit this way in Premiere. And then I'd, I'd, slowly but surely, like, my videos got better and better. Um, and then, and then, like I say, I ended up doing a little bit of freelance. Um, realized that it wasn't something that I wanted to pursue, and then applied for a job for a news company in Manchester called Manchester Evening News. Uh, essentially, working on their sport desk, but doing video. So, that, that obviously, the, the teams that they would be reporting on is Manchester United and Manchester City. So it was a sick opportunity, and yeah, I, I got managed to get an interview. And then I had to do like a little trial video as well, um, essentially showing them what I could do. And the video that I had to make, I did all in After Effects. Like that was the brief, essentially. It was like, what can you do using nothing? Like make us a video from nothing. And the skills that I learned by going out and doing these videos that I thought were just like pointless ended up landing me that job, essentially, because my manager, well, who was going to be my manager, was so impressed with the skills that I had through yeah sorry in in photoshop no sorry not photoshop the skills that i had in premiere and that i had in after effects that he was like oh i didn't know that you you were like that proficient in these things this is that was essentially the reason i got the job and obviously like you can trace it back to these like goofy videos that i did and it just feels like oh right that's weird that that actually amounted to something and it wasn't just me wasting my time like having fun like that's the reason i did it i did it because i enjoyed it and in the end, I, I ended up benefiting it, benefiting from it, which is great, obviously.
0: Yeah, I mean, you tend to find that most people that go into or that have an interest in photography and that kind of thing usually go freelance and stick with freelance. Um, and having a drone, obviously, can open up new opportunities. I mean, I was chatting with Hugo Healy a couple of weeks back, um, and obviously, ninety percent of his work now is filming for TV through using his drone but it's interesting that you almost on the flip side of that you used the drone and the opportunities that came from that were almost in the editing side of things which obviously then helped you to get to where you are now
1: yeah yeah exactly um I just I think it's strange but obviously just following something that I was interested in um, and just kind of pursuing it without really having an end goal in sight, kind of just because I enjoyed it, um, like worked out better than I could have imagined, which is great. And yeah, obviously, like you said, um, I, at, the, at the minute, I'm working for Lab Bible as a video editor. Uh, and that kind of came about just through progressing from my previous job. Like They're both Manchester based. Um, my job before this, the one at the Manchester Evening News just like, didn't work out for various different reasons. Um, so I just kind of moved over to Lab Bible and yeah, I've been loving it. Been there two and a half years now. Uh, it's been great.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, so what is there any kind of advice that you could offer for people that are just sort of starting out in terms of how to you know, get the best possible shots and how to make the most of the drone that they've obviously invested so much money into?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I guess the two things that I would say are most important is the planning and the editing. So like the pre and post-production stages, uh, like obviously the regular taking the photos is important too, but you know, like I think if when you're doing your planning, you want to find locations that are really cool. So you obviously get on Google earth or do your research, like read um, people's blogs to just try and find as many cool locations as possible. Um, and yeah, I, I guess plan, 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 And then once you've got your photos and you're happy with them, then just spend a lot of time editing. And that kind of, obviously we were were talking about this a little bit earlier, but for me, just rushing through a photo is like the worst thing you can do. Like there's no point getting through it as quickly as possible. You should just take as much time as you can and, and as much care with the photo as possible because you don't, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You don't, you just don't want to rush it. You don't want to ruin it. You want to make sure you're getting the most out of that image. And for me, slapping a preset on and calling it a day that isn't going to do that. You've got to take a lot more care, um, which is what I try and do with my photos. And ultimately then I'm the most happy with them as well. So I'd say just spend a lot of time looking into editing techniques, use people's presets as well, just to kind of figure out their thought process behind it, which you can do. You can obviously apply a preset and then backtrack and be like, look at the different adjustments that they've made and, and then kind of be like, well, why have they made that those adjustments? Oh, it's to look like this, right? Well, I want to apply this particular part to my image. So I think that's useful. And then just watching tutorials on YouTube. That's how I learned a lot of my stuff, um, watch Photoshop and Lightroom tutorials and yeah, just implement it, just practice.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned about Photoshop and Lightroom tutorials, there's obviously built into the newest versions of Photoshop and Lightroom, you actually have tutorials sort of based within the app. Um, And a lot of those are obviously built by professionals. And what's nice about those is they walk you through step by step, but they get you to do it. So it'll tell you, oh, you need to make this slider here. And it will show you the process. I mean, one that springs to mind is Peter McKinnon's got a couple on there. um, And he talks through how he edits a couple of these shots. And you know, it says you know do this, do that kind of thing, and you end up with the shot at the end and think, oh well, that's not the way I would have done it. But it's as you say, like it's interesting to see the thought process behind things and and to get a different outlook because when you are stuck in the same way of editing the same thing all the time, it can become you can become quite closed minded with things, and sometimes it's nice to get a different take on how different things are done, and you know, and it it can improve your editing and make you think twice about, oh, do I really need to do that and You know, as you say, like take your time with things and it's all about sort of making the most of what you've got. And obviously the editing side of things is as important as the photography side. So taking your time with both of them is really, really crucial to getting a great shot.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like like we were saying earlier, you want to get it as, well, it depends on what your style is essentially, but like personally, I want to get it as close to how I remember it on the day. Some people might want to go for like a ridiculous edit where it looks completely nothing like it did on the day and you know like more of a digital art kind of perspective which is obviously fine um but yeah i think kind of figure out what you want from the image before you start editing it and then try and apply that and just be patient as well like sometimes it doesn't work out straight away you've got to backtrack yourself go back on what you've what you thought would look good and or sometimes even just start over completely um but you you will usually end up with something that you're satisfied with
0: definitely Well, thank you for taking time out of your evening uh, to chat with us today. Um, It's been really great chatting. Um, How can people find you on Instagram?
1: Um, Yeah, so it's at G underscore Cooper. Um, But yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a good chat.
0: Yeah, cool. Thank you very much, George. Nice one, mate. Cheers.